go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to the Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Henry. I'm the Museum Programs Coordinator here in Oshkosh. Uh, safely distance across the table from me is... Tom Charpentier, Government Relations Director. And Tom, as I always say, my favorite episodes of The Green Dot are ones where we get to have a guest and talk to cool people. We're certainly talking to a cool person here today, one of our coworkers. Uh, you want to tell us who we have here today? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, John Isley is uh, EAA's Flight Programs Manager, which means he has a lot of things to do with the flight operations here at EAA. He's worked with our Sport Pilot Academy. He's worked with our B-25 and B-17 and tri-motor uh, air tour programs. Uh, he's uh, one of the top instructors, if not the top instructor for our flying club, gave me my last flight review. Uh, and But here today he's actually here to talk about a personal passion of his. He's also a uh, powered paraglider or paramotoring instructor and has uh, had a great passion in that for many years. Uh, so, John, welcome. We're here to uh, talk about that and also the article that you r recently wrote for the June issue of Sport Aviation. Yeah, so thank you both. Thanks for having me on today. Um, I'm not certain I've ever listened to a full podcast before in my life, and I've certainly never been on one, so I'm honored, number one, and number two, I hope I can do a good job today. So I have I have no doubt you will, sir. Um, you know, I, I, in a conversation we all had here prior, uh, you know, we were talking about how, and it's something you observed and wrote in the article as well, is your first impression of the sport can kind of um, sometimes be misleading. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, so to start off, like I, I grew up in general aviation. My, uh, my dad actually logged my first flight at three months old and I kind of grew up, uh, around air venture. I'd actually been to every air venture of my life, including the year my mom was pregnant with me. Um, and growing up around air venture and, you know, the, the early to mid nineties, I had seen paramotors and, you know, the powered parachutes off in the distance on the air venture grounds in their own little ultralight corner. Um, and my first assumptions of that were, I think, the same as, as, the many, as many people bring in surrounding the sport, where it's like, that looks unsafe and that probably looks illegal and, you know, looks a little bit boring and the people that fly them are a little bit weird. Um, and I think that especially in the early to mid 90s, some of those assumptions may have been a little bit more accurate. <laughs> but, you know, I uh, I it really has changed my perception, not only of, of aviation and not only of the world that surrounds me, but also people. It's given me such a such a better understanding of, of the people that I interact with on a daily basis. Um, and I, I honestly think that people are one of the best parts of the sport. And to be fair, we all are all are a little bit weird to you know to come into this sport where we voluntarily run into the sky like a greek myth you know something is a little bit wrong with you if you think that you know you can go out and like do that thing but i think that one of the things that i find so exciting about the sport is the the, the diverse backgrounds that we have coming into the sport uh, in fact very few of the students that i've trained um are prior pilots. Um, I have trained former naval test pilots and former U-2 pilots and current and retired airline captains, but I would say that that population makes up a small percentage of the, the people that come into this sport. Um, a lot of the people that come into this sport um, have a 
diverse array of backgrounds. I've trained grandmothers and wounded military veterans and school teachers and Pixar animators and board game designers, you know, you name it. Um, and, and really the, the common thing that brings everyone together, whether or not they have prior aviation experience, is this desire to fly that, you know, maybe they can't define um, maybe they don't fully understand yet. And in many cases, a lot of the people that come into training have never seen a paramotor up close before. They've only seen it on YouTube or on Facebook, and they want to learn more about it. They, wanna, they want to gain this almost like superhuman ability to run into the sky for themselves. So that's, yeah, it's a, you know, a long way of, of saying that I just really love um, what, not only what this sport is, but also what it stands for as well. Well, I'd like to, to, to just start off a little bit about your journey. How did you go from from thinking it was kind of a crazy idea to, to, to where you are now where you're actually doing it and instructing it? Sure. So that's a great question. Um, as I mentioned, you know, I'd, I'd always seen them off in the distance at, at, uh, at AirVenture and really never had any interest in doing that. You know, as a prior fixed wing pilot, I thought to myself, you know, that looks unsafe because I like having a solid wing over my head right i like having you know whether low wing or high wing airplane i have that solid wing i know it's safe i know it's always going to be there and i i look at that that parachute right and i'm like that could collapse right what happens if it falls down it looks unsafe um but it wasn't until i was actually coming back from a de uh, deployment to afghanistan and i had picked up a flying magazine in germany on the way home and I picked up this magazine article, and I was just kind of thumbing through it. And I read this article from, like me, there was a prior pilot who stumbled across the sport of paramotoring and thought, you know what, this looks kind of cool. I'm going to go out and do this. And in this magazine article, he described this ability to run into the sky like he'd always dreamed of. And I thought, you know what, like... I've never looked at that sport in this context before. And, you know, I, I grew up, one of my favorite movies as a kid was The Rocketeer. I was like, how much more of like a Rocketeer thing can I get than flying a paramotor and running into the sky? I was like, I've never looked at that sport in this context before. Um, so fortunately, um, AirVenture 2013 was just a few weeks away at that point. I was like, all right, so I got some deployment money to spend and I'm going to give myself a mission of, finding some people at AirVenture um, who can tell me more about the sport. You know, what a better place to, you know, become familiar with other flavors of, of general aviation. Um, met some folks up there, learned a little bit more about the sport. And in 2014, um, I went and I got training for myself. Um, and that's really not only where my, my, my perception of aviation and flying started changing, but it's really where my, my life started changing. Um, I was in the Marine Corps at the time, and you know, in, in the 10 years that I spent in the Marine Corps between uh, college and active duty, I applied six times to be a Marine Corps aviator, and they kept telling me, no, 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 no. And I kind of got to the point where it's like, you know, this is a lot of fun. But I also miss flying, and I miss being around flying people and talking about flying things. I know how to fly this paramotor. I think I'd like to teach people how to fly this paramotor, and that's what I did. Uh, I got out of the Marine Corps and became a full-time paramotor instructor, and it, it really 
changed the entire direction and trajectory of my entire life. Yeah, we we talk about um, being around the paramotors you know, during Air Venture. It's uh, um, that was kind of the same experience for me. I was at Sun and Fun uh, a number of years ago, and just down there at uh, Paradise City sure. with uh, with Tim Bogenhagen from our staff, yeah. and we were just watching the uh, the paramotors taking off and landing. And he was kind of narrating to me what they were doing. I was like, "Wow, that is really really cool." And it, it's one of those things you watch it from a distance, and you kind of assume you think you know what it's about, right? But when you, it, 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 it's, it isn't until you, you look at it up close and you see the nuance of it that you realize just how cool it is. Yeah, you, you, once you go deeper down the, the rabbit hole, you start to understand that there's a lot more to it than, than meets the eye. Um, and that's one of the, you know, the things about this sport is that, you know, practiced pilots tend to make these, these skills look very easy and very fluid. Um, but especially for people that don't have any flying experience, or even for some people that do have prior flying experience, like we're teaching them how to aviate for the first time, and they're not learning how to operate a machine. They're learning how to become a flying machine. You know, yeah. they're they are building this, this wing over their head in the process of flying it. Um, and, you know, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate about this sport is that, like, I'm not confined to a cockpit. I'm not looking at instruments like I am the flying machine. You know, I, I'm the center of the flying system and the, the wing that's above my head is like an extension of my own body. And I'm basically sitting there in a lawn chair in the sky, you know, at treetop level or, you know, most of our flying's between about 500 and 1200 feet. Um, but just maneuvering in this this space with this environment that surrounds me. And I just get to experience and feel and, and do so much more cool stuff in a paramotor than I than I would be in an airplane comparatively. So you've uh, you've 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 mentioned you, you've you've painted a pretty good picture for us about what paramotoring is, but I think it's it, it is important to uh, to do a little bit of housekeeping here in terms of uh, of what we mean when we say paramotoring and powered paragliding. You get into it in a section of your article that is uh, a very wonderfully titled Words Mean Things. Yes. Uh, so so a lot of people hear powered parachute and they hear mm -hmm. powered paraglider. And uh, to a lot of them, that probably intuitively means uh, a very similar thing. Could you tell us a little bit about the differences of that? Sure. And I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because this is usually a, a common point of confusion, even for well-meaning people who intend to use the right words. They're like, just like, John, like, what do I call this? Where do I start. Um, so as you mentioned, um, we call this sport powered paragliding, which is more commonly referred to as paramotoring. Um, we also have paragliding, which is commonly referred to as free flight. Um, the biggest difference between powered paragliding and simply paragliding is the addition of an engine on our back. Um, so with paragliding, um, we will actually put on a free flight harness, uh, which basically looks like a backpack with a little seat board that pops out underneath it. Um, and we'll launch from higher elevations such as a hillside or a mountaintop or be or towed um, to a higher altitudes, somewhere between two and 5,000 feet. So we can begin the process of, of thermaline and flying without a motor. Um, so, so basically like hang gliding, but with a, a parachute like wing. Exactly. Yep. Soaring. Yeah. Yep. And, yep. you know, there there are different sources of lift that you can use with paragliding, whether it's a it's a rising thermal or, you know, ridge lift where wind is blowing towards a terrain feature and that 
air is being redirected upwards. Um, that's a different source of lift that, that paragliders can use. Um, powered paragliding, we have the source of, of thrust on our back. Um, so this is where we'll actually launch from a lower elevation typically, and we'll go run into the sky and go climb up using the thrust that's provided by our motor. Um, and then powered parachutes are a little bit different, um, mostly in that the parachutes they use um, are much less efficient but far more stable than the, the paragliders that we use. Um, and although there are some powered parachutes out there that are Part 103 uh, capable, most powered parachutes are considered to be light sport aircraft, which require a uh, sport pilot certificate and light sport, or excuse me, powered parachute endorsement to operate. Um, whereas our powered paragliders, aka paramotors, are typically fit within the definitions provided by Part 103, which specifically identifies us as ultralight vehicles, which don't require any training or airworthiness standards for either the operators or the equipment themselves. Yeah, in Part 103, I always like to uh, to show everybody, you know, the far aim. Yep. And I said Part 103 is two pages of this. Yep. Uh, that that that's how simple and elegant the rule is. Both both <laughs> sides of a single page. That's right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask you when we're talking about training, you know, immediately I started thinking of, you know, training aircraft. Mm -hmm. How do how do you train somebody for, to, you know, to become a, a powered par a paramotor glider pilot here? I mean. Yeah. Is there a two-seat setup somehow or something? That's that's a great question. Um, and it's really, we use a building block approach uh, to training. You know, part of this is academic in nature, and this is all the ground school that you're receiving. This is, you know, knowledge on airspace, weather, motor maintenance, um, what your first flight is going to be like, some basic flight principles, aerodynamics, um, talking a little bit about like wing design and glider selection and obvious, you know, safety, aeronautical decision making, human factors, uh, topics such as that. Uh, but we also have a lot of training that's conducted out in the field as well. And it really begins all with ground handling, um, also known as kiting. And this is really the foundation and the, the building block of our sport that only becomes more important to you as a paramotor pilot as you continue to gain experience. Um, so we start out on the field and, you know, these uh, students will wear just like a basic kiting harness that doesn't have a motor or a frame or anything on that like that. It just has two attach points where they clip their risers into carabiners and they'll practice running forward and inflating this glider over their head and basically using a combination of body input underneath the glider and hand input to control the brake toggles which will steer the glider. Um, and that's not only essential to a successful and safe and efficient takeoff but it's also the basis of control in the air. Um, so we'll typically spend, you know, anywhere between two and eight hours uh, ground handling before we start moving into the next steps. Um, but we also have a motor simulator, which basically looks like a swing set with simulated risers that you sit underneath. Um, so we'll typically simulate the first flight from start to finish with the motor off, uh, and then we'll 
turn the motor on. So now we're going to practice exactly what we just did, except now we're also controlling the power in our hand which, with what looks almost like a motorcycle throttle or a motorcycle brake. Um, so they're kind of, you know, they're, they're syncing their hand input to what they're hearing and feeling with the motor, and they're kind of tying that all together now. Um, once that step is complete, um, many schools use towing exercises um, for the purpose of simulating the first launch, getting that glider up over your head, running into the sky, getting about 30 to 40 feet over the ground and steering enough just to stay in a straight line to where they'll then bring you down where you can practice your landing. Um, some schools will also have um, tandem capabilities, which can either be foot launched or wheel launched with what looks like a tricycle gear cart. Um, as Tom, you probably know, part 103 is limited to one sole occupant of that vehicle. However, um, organizations like the Aerosports Connection and the USPPA both have exemptions from the FAA that allow them to conduct tandems for the purposes of instruction. So that's not every school will, will have towing. Not every school will have um, tandem capability. Some have both. Some have that capability to do both and only choose to do one. Um, and it's just, it's they're both just tools in, you know, teaching this person how to fly before they go up there on their own. Um, so once we've accomplished the ground handling, then we've accomplished the motor sim, then we've done either the tandem and or towing. Now we're having the students either steer around their tricycle gear, PPG, or they're learning how to walk with that motor on their back while manipulating the throttle. And a big part of this is getting that posture correct because it's almost like a trust fall. You wanna kind of lean back against the thrust and you'll realize that the more power you add, the more you can lean back against it and the more effective you make that thrust line for you. So we're really teaching people how, kind of like how to use their bodies in a different way and you know, teaching them how to, how to manipulate this throttle and kind of tie everything together. And after that, we move into what we call taxi practice, um, where they start tying everything together now. They have the motor on their back. They inflate the glider. The instructor is talking them up step by step, telling them, you know, lean back more, pull a little bit of right brake pressure, add a little bit of power, talking them through these steps. And then if they do everything right, everything looks perfect, that taxi practice turns into a first flight. And here's here's the key is that during that training process, they will have practiced everything leading up to that point. There isn't anything that they aren't doing in the air for themselves that they haven't done on the ground or during towing already. They're just kind of taking the sum of all of these parts that we've already kind of put in place and putting them together. Um, in fact, I tell my students that if in the course of their first flight, if their radio quits, I already have confidence as the instructor that they know what to do because we've trained for it they've experienced it and we've talked about it as well. That radio only becomes a tool to continue that lesson and, and keep adding different skills to that lesson. Um, so after they get that first flight done and then they get their fifth flight done and then they get their 10th flight done, 
the instructor is starting to say less and less and less, and he's not standing in front of them on their launch anymore. He's not really helping them get clipped in anymore. He's not laying their equipment out for them. We, we keep giving the student more and more responsibility each flight until they get to the point where they're totally autonomous and totally independent. We've built the correct habits. We've ingrained the correct muscle memory, and they're all out there doing it for themselves. And, you know, for me as an instructor, the first flight is always exciting. I, you know, I feel like my heart's racing like a astronaut sitting on the launch pad. Um, and that's, that's really rewarding to see the first flight. But what is truly rewarding for me as a, as a paramotor instructor is when they start flying for themselves. And all I have to do is stand behind them. I don't even have to key up my radio and they're, they're doing everything on their own. So that in a nutshell is what that training process looks like. And that, you know, typically takes about seven to 10, like committed days, uh, if you're going to do it in, in one shot. So let me let me ask you this question. It's, it's one of my favorite questions to ask people. How was your first time soloing one? It was an otherworldly experience, and you know, I, I think our training techniques and our equipment has come a long way since even when I learned how to fly in 2014. Um, our gliders weren't as efficient; they weren't as easy to launch. Our equipment weighed a lot more. Um, our equipment today typically weighs about 43 pounds empty. And then what we call our all up weight, which is the weight of our fuel flotation, reserve parachute, anything else that's on the paramotor. Typically that weighs about 65 pounds or so. Um, when I was coming into the sport, um, the empty weight was somewhere around like 60 pounds and the all up weight was about like 85 pounds. So everything was harder to move around with, harder, harder to launch. It was more cumbersome. And it took me probably about eight attempts um, at inflating this glider and trying to control it and trying to steer it, move under it, get everything perfect. And it was hot. <laughs> it was frustrating. I was angry. I was confused. Um, but once I kind of tied everything together, it's like, this is it. Like, I know this is happening. Everything looks good. Everything feels good. All I have to do is keep adding more power. And before you know it, you're like, you've run into the sky. You've done it. Um, and you know, I, I don't remember my first flight in an airplane because I've been flying my whole life. But this was like an experience for me that it's like, this is what it's like to fly for the first time. And, you know, I was uh, training in Central Florida at the time. And, you know, to fly over the orange groves, and smell the orange blossoms and feel the air get warmer in an inversion layer. It's like, I can't experience that with a cockpit surrounding me. So it really was like flying for the first time. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah that's really amazing. And uh, um, yeah, it, it sounds like a completely, uh, well, actually, let's talk about this. This is fundamentally different than flying an airplane. Um, and I, you know, most, uh, uh, airplane pilots are used to, um, you know, three axes of control plus, plus power. Correct. Um, I understand that's fundamentally different for mm -hmm. uh, paramotor. You want to talk about mm -hmm. how we, how, how do you control it? Well, we still have all the same basic principles of flight, right? We still have a yaw and we still have a roll. We still have a pitch axis and we still have all the same four forces at, at play, right? Lift, thrust, weight, and drag. All of that is the same. Um, but I would say the 
biggest difference in the way that a paramotor is controlled and maneuvers versus an airplane is we're suspended underneath the airplane, usually about 12 to 16 feet underneath our wing. Um, and because of that, we have a lot of pendular energy. Um, as you start to become a more experienced pilot and your control starts to become more intuitive, this is something that you don't even have to think about. And you can also use this pendular energy to your advantage to do more dynamic maneuvers like wing overs and barrel rolls. Um, but as, a, as an inexperienced pilot or as a student, this is something that's very foreign to you. And, you know, especially for prior airplane pilots, um, this is something that can be a little bit confusing because we have to be two steps ahead of where that glider is. If I'm in the air and the glider is falling off to my uh, right, it's already trying to swing its way back left overhead because it's essentially like a self-centering mm. stable flying machine. If I, as the pilot, feel my glider off to the right and I try to pull it back to the left, I'm further increasing that swing and further increasing that that you know oscillation underneath the glider um, so I'm kind of getting ahead of myself though I think um, the, the primary flight controls for the glider we have our, our throttle in our hand which obviously produces thrust um, but it will also produce uh, momentary movement around that pitch axis as well if we add power the glider will kind of fall back and kind of push us up underneath it. If we reduce power, that glider will surge forward a little bit. It will kind of fall back until it kind of returns to its natural position through a series of oscillations. And we also have um, our brake toggles in our hand. Um, and the movement around the roll axis and the pitch axis and the yaw axis is... Um, really comes from the drag that we add to one half or both halves of the glider through the addition of brake input uh, in our hands. And the other way we control our gliders is with weight shift as well. And I think this is one of my favorite things in, in paramotoring is I, is I am literally flying by the seat of my pants. Um, if I put more pressure on one butt cheek versus the other butt cheek, I'm pulling down these these risers. I'm loading one of these risers more than the other, and I'm causing that glider to kind of roll and yaw around that weight shift with the addition of brake input as well. So it's I, I liken it to using the ailerons and the rudder um, in an airplane in a coordinated manner. We can you know fly using just weight shift. We can fly using just brake input. Um, but really, we use a combination of both at all times as well. So, If anybody's wondering why John's uh, audio went a little wonky there, it's because uh, he... Uh, uh, Got a little excited. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it seems like these uh, paramotor pilots, you have to you have to kind of pantomime everything that you're doing. <laughs> make sure it's straight. <laughs> I'm, I'm stuck behind this microphone, and when we first got here, it's like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one one thing I also just just uh, just a final point on on control. One thing I, I also noticed that's kind of unique among uh, for paramotors, at least for an airplane pilot, is that um, when you do do your your final full stop landing mm -hmm. of your flight, you're usually landing dead stick, right? Usually, not always, yeah. um, but frankly, that's a, always a fun challenge um, for every flight is to 
go up way high, go up to about two or 3,000 feet, pick a point out on the ground and be like, I'm going to drag my foot across that point on the ground and I'm going to dead stick it from up here. Um, and that's also how we kind of get the glider to stabilize a little bit earlier, um, especially more inexperienced pilots that are still learning typically like to keep their motors on for longer. Um, but I will typically, as soon as I know that the, that the LZ is, is safe um, and that you know the conditions are suitable for landing and I know that I have the field made that I can make it to it without power, that's where I'll typically turn off my motor. Um, and some will hold, for, hold their motors on a little bit longer and some will even land under power, especially if like the, the environmental factors are a little bit stronger. But yeah, most of our landings, I would say, generally speaking, are, are conducted without power. So, awesome. Now, you know, I know in 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 sports like skydiving, you know, there's there's a lot of attention paid to obviously the canopy of the parachute. Um, do the do, you know does that kind of apply here too? Is that is that something that really you're really super careful about? Yeah. So um, I think that a lot of people that are new to the sport they place a lot of their attention on on the paramotor um you know the unit with the the harness and the propeller and the engine and that's certainly an important part of what we fly but that's only the thing that gets us into the air um all of the magic is really found in the the paraglider and i, I really like to compare gliders to shoes they come in different sizes they different come in different colors and they're also used for a variety of different purposes like I wouldn't take construction boots to the beach and I wouldn't bring my flip-flops to a construction site. You know, they all have something that they're well-suited for um, and those flying characteristics can change pretty greatly depending on like how heavily or lightly loaded you are underneath that glider. Um, so yeah, there is a lot of attention that goes into the glider and, you know, in our, our pre-flight inspections, we're, we're very careful to make sure that, you know, the fabric of the glider uh, is, is in the right shape, that all of the suspension lines are clear and not tangled around each other and undamaged. And we'll, we'll check the risers and where the suspension lines connect to the risers. We'll check the trims and basically pre-flight it just like we pre-flight an airplane. You know, we are, we are visually and physically inspecting everything that we expect to work. So is, is there a, a moment in one of your flights whether it was just something you were looking at, um, I don't know, just a special moment that, that has stood out for you over uh, all your different uh, times flying? So two things that, that come to mind right away. Um, one was flying along the Pacific Coast in, in Costa Rica. I was down there for a, a training session, um, and we were flying. Uh, we took off from Estorios Beach, and we were flying towards Haco, and I was climbing up because I needed to get over this mountain range. And I was watching the sunset over the Pacific Ocean, just having this just like otherworldly experience. And I looked down and I see all these like red sparkles, like flying through the air, you know, probably about one to 2000 feet below me. And I was trying to figure out what they were. And after a few seconds of looking at it, I saw that it was like a flock of macaws that were all going home for the night. And I'm just looking at it like, how am I going to explain this to anyone? It's like trying to explain color to a blind person. Like, how can anybody understand this that hasn't experienced it for themselves? And that's like, that's a life memory right there. Like, I'll never forget that moment. Um, 
And I think that, you know, one of the other um, flights that comes to mind is I, I had a few friends and we, uh, we put our paramotors on our back and we were flying in midday conditions because we wanted to go out there and climb up to an altitude and then thermal the rest of the way after we shut off our motors. So we did just that. We climbed up for probably about 20 or 30 minutes or so or, and then got to a, a good cruising altitude, shut off our motors, and then we started, you know, climbing on these updrafts like surfers on a wave and uh, opened up our ear cups for our hearing protection and we're all flying in the same thermal just kind of shouting back and forth at each other like this is awesome having so much fun so it was like me between my two buddies all flying in the same thermal and then I look over and two bald eagles joined us so we're all climbing in the same thermal with two bald eagles shouting back and forth at each other. Like, hey, you guys see those? Like, that's so freaking cool, right? And then a sailplane joins us on the top of our stack. So it's like we have three paragliders, two bald eagles, and a sailplane, like, all flying in the same thermal. And, like, when you get to, like, look at a bird, much less a bald eagle, and you're like, I am flying with that thing. Like I'm looking eye to eye with it. And we just both have the same understanding that we're just, we just want to go out there and fly. And I'm, I'm convinced by the way, that birds enjoy flying. It's not just a way of life for them. It's not just their way of survival. Like they enjoy it too. You know, I've Absolutely. seen it. I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty safe assumption. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So those are the first two things that, that really come to mind. But yeah, I, I try and describe this, this experience of intense focus and emotion and passion that all takes place right before a launch. Like you got all your straps buckled down, the motors idling on your back, you're getting your risers in your hands, you're finding your center point onto the wing and you just take all of these emotions that you're feeling and you find just a way to, to harness them. And it's, it's the highest high and it's such a high high, it's almost like a low. Um, and the, I try and describe that with something that I call the paradox of paramotoring. And what I mean by that is that somehow, unbelievably, every next flight is better than the one that came before it. And I think that probably all professional pilots out there at some point in their flying careers have, you know, kind of found monotony and, you know, pressing the autopilot and going from point A to point B and you know they feel like they've kind of plateaued at some point and they fall out of love with flying not always but sometimes I'm sure many can can relate with that with paramotoring it just keeps getting better um, there's always something new to to learn there's always someone new to fly with there's always a new flying site to fly from there's always a new glider to fly there are always new experiences to be had because this isn't just a job. You aren't just going from point A to point B. You're going out there to to have fun and experience flight in a new way every single time. And I think that's that's really one of the things that not only draws me to the sport, but I think a lot of people to the sport. Well, and I think one of the big things, and I think you, you just, you just uh, keyed on it there, is that um, you're so much more part of the environment when you're out there flying. I think it's kind of like... Um, 
you know, I, I sail, and that that that's kind of one of the one of the things that attracts me to it to that sport is that every time you go out, it's just a little bit different. The wave conditions, the wind conditions, sure. the direction, the shifts, and I, I think you, you you see that a lot in in um, in something that connected uh, to the to the outside world. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're looking at all of the the weather and the the climate factors on a much smaller scale than than we would with an airplane. They're all the same. Um, but it's just a it's a much smaller environment that we're operating within, and you know really we're cruising at anywhere between for most paramotors anywhere between 25 and 40 45 miles an hour. Um, so we are covering the amount of distance in a given amount of time that an airplane will just fly right through in a minute, right? It's a it's a much smaller environment that we're operating in. It's much more intimate, and you know. In the central Michigan, where I was just recently for a training session, one of my favorite things to do over there is to drop down and foot drag these endless fields of lavender and mint. And you just smell this fragrant air, and you get done with your flight, you're high-fiving everyone. I'm like, that was so awesome. Do you see me kind of drop down into that valley and fly around those trees? Do you see that deer that ran by? And meanwhile, like, you smell like lavender and mint because you've been flying through this incredibly fragrant air dragging your feet across <laughs> it. You know, so, yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely the, the interaction that you have with, with the environment. You, you aren't just in it but you're a part of it and you know these these sunsets most of the times that we fly are during the first two hours after sunrise and the last two hours before sunset so we get a lot of like beautiful conditions to go out and and fly in and it's it's like you can see the sunset but you also can participate in the sunset you can be a part of it and you're like this sunset is mine yeah this is ours so Uh, on average you know, how long is a single flight? That's a, that's a great question. So on average, I would say that most paramotor flights are usually between anywhere between 30 minutes and an hour or so. Um, we usually have about three gallon tanks on our paramotors, fuel tanks, and we're limited by part 103 to uh, about five gallons and we typically burn about one to maybe one and a half gallons per hour. So theoretically, on a full three-gallon fuel tank, we can fly for about three hours or so, maybe as many as five hours, uh, depending on your throttle usage and everything. But uh, most of our flying times are limited to these these uh, these two-hour windows that are outside of that daily thermic period. And you know, frankly. I'll go fly around for an hour, and unless I'm doing something like an adventure race, I usually feel pretty satisfied after that hour of flying. So, yeah. Well, and I believe I believe that your article has actually uh, gained some questions along the way. Uh, did we want to discuss some of the questions that came in? And Yeah, so um, I've had a lot of feedback, which I really appreciate. Um, I've had a lot of feedback from um, – paramotor pilots that have reached out and said hey you know thanks for for representing us we really appreciate this this sport that we love sharing so much being in in sport aviation and uh, got a lot of good feedback about that Um, I've also had some prior airplane pilots reach out to me and say hey kind of like you I never considered this sport until now what are my next steps Um, and I think it it begins with finding not just a training program but a, a 
good training program that has a well-rounded syllabus that is kind of structured in that building block approach um, that you're not only getting training out in the field but there should also be an academic curriculum behind it as well because you're not just trying to gain skill and experience um, you're trying to gain knowledge as well not only knowledge how to operate legally and safely, but also responsibly as well. Um, so I, I think that, you know, reaching out to these schools, getting an idea of what their syllabus looks like, talking to their instructors and seeing if you're a good personality match for them is very important. Um, asking, you know, questions like, how long have you been flying for? How long have you been training for? Um, where does your syllabus come from? Is it something that you have made and implemented? Um, is it something that you've adopted from the USPPA or Aerosports Connection? I think those are all really valid questions to ask about, you know, their, their training process and their training techniques. Um, and, you know, really just finding other people that are in the sport, whether it's on social media or out at a local flying field and, you know, asking them questions like, hey, how did you get into the sport? what do you wish you would have done differently or what should I know coming into the sport? I think are really valuable questions to ask as well. So, well, you've certainly made a good, uh, good pitch for it today. <laughs> <during the podcast. laughs> I appreciate that. Well, I think we're running up against the clock and uh, it's amazing how fast this episode went. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it, 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 it just, I can do this so all bad. day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I just want to thank you for, for coming on and, and you know, uh, for sharing this love of a different type of aviation with us, um, you know, getting to be on staff here with you and, and uh, of course, uh, getting to spend some time with your dad here uh, really kind of ties all in, makes us proud to, to be on staff here with you all. So. Well, I'm, I'm honored that you guys thought to ask me to be on the show and gave me the opportunity to talk about it. It really means a lot to me. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm sure we'll have you back on for part two down the road at some point. And, Don't tempt uh, me with a good time. I know. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this, this easily could be, uh, we could easily knock out a couple hours here. For all those listening at home, thank you again for tuning in to The Green Dot. We really appreciate it. Be sure to check us out. Uh, well, you know where you find your uh, your different podcast. Uh, uh, be sure to check us out there. Leave us some reviews, please. It really helps us, and it matters a lot. It lets us know how we're doing, so please be sure to do that. And um, for all those tuning in, I hope to see you next time. Uh, I'll try and do my best hat limitation. Uh, as I say, uh, we'll catch you next time when you're cleared to land on the Green Dot. <laughs>